1855, Europe's greatest rope walker, Charles Blondin, or Blondin, not sure how you say it, it's both ways on the internet, but Blondin sounds cooler, so I'm going to go with that one. In 1855, he came across and um, quickly was captivated by the challenge of tight roping across the gorge of the Niagara Falls. No one had ever done it before. He began to look at it and thought that he could do it and wanted to be the first one. And sure enough, in 1859, 25,000 people on both banks joined together um, for a small fee to watch Blondine walk across. What was crazy about this was, not only was it, it's windy there and the currents and everything, it was just so many variables to make it exciting, but as he went across at the most dangerous point, which is the, when the, he's right in the middle and the rope is flexed the most, he sat down, lowered a rope down to a tourist boat down in the river, and they tied a bottle of wine to the rope and he lifted it up and had a glass stood back up and then finished his walk across to the Canada side. While he was in Canada, he strapped a camera to his back with the tripod, came across and stopped in the middle again and took one of those pictures, the kind, not with your phone, with, you know, the kind you take the cover off and then cover it back up and took a picture of the American side and the crowd that was watching this. People went crazy. They just thought, this is the most crazy thing ever. And so throughout the 60s, 60s for the next 10 years, Blondine crossed this gorge um, 300 times, over 300 times. And he did it all different kinds of ways. He did it with a wheelbarrow full of rocks. He did it on stilts. He did it blindfolded. Every time that he did it, what he didn't do was with someone in the wheelbarrow. That's, that's myth. Because here's what would happen. 300 times plus, every time he did it, he would go up and he would say, who thinks I can walk across this gorge? And of course, everybody was like, yes, you can do it, you idiot. <laughs> and then he would say, who will climb on my back and go with me? And over 300 times, nobody went. Crickets. You see, that's the difference between faith and intellectual assent. It's one thing to say, I believe it. It's a different thing, especially biblically, to say I have faith in it. Faith isn't just intellectual belief. Faith embodies trust. It's a willingness to act on what you say you believe. And this is what... Abraham teaches us. Abraham teaches us that, that not only does he believe that God will keep his promises, but that he acts on that. We've seen from Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I'll show you. And he's, and I'll go ahead and make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and you'll be a, your name will be a blessing to people and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You see, there's where it gets right there is he believes that. But then what does he do? Well, think about it as a tightrope. 
God said, go. And go out here to the land I'll show you. And there's the tension. There's the tension. And what makes Abraham special is he went. The tension is in the go and I'll show you. So let's do a little, let's have a little English class just for real, real quick. God says, go. What's the tense of that verb? It's not future. Go someday. It's not went. You've done it in the past. You're right, Robert. It's present tense. Go now. But I will show you. Will show is in what tense? Future. And there's the tension. The tension is in the tenses. God is going to ask you to do something, but he's not going to give you all you want. He's going to say, go. Now, act, trust me. And I will show you. Philip Yancey says the kind of faith that God values seems to develop best when everything fuzzes over, when God stays silent and the fog rolls in. Over and over again, we see people's faith grow in the scriptures when it gets a little hazy. John Ortberg in his book, Faith and Doubt, said it this way, faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and he and he will do what he says he will do. Faith is coming to believe with my whole body what I say I believe with my whole mind. What I want to do is jump forward almost from the front of the Bible almost to, back to almost the very end of it into a place in Hebrews chapter 11 when we see some information in the story of Abraham. And it's there that we get some really cool insight into the life of faith. You see, all of this time that we're spending together working towards understanding Abraham and what it means to love God by walking the way he walked, what I want, I think it's, it would be discouraging for you if you didn't really understand what that means. What's the way of faith? What's the place that that's gonna take me? What's the timing like? Who really gets the credit in all of it? And Hebrews chapter 11 shows us that. Let me read it to you. And then I'll talk a little bit about how we normally try to discern what faith is and then what Hebrews 11 teaches us. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as the inheritance, obeyed and went, there it is, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. This is this is the program of a life of faith. But typically, when I will talk to people, and I hear us say this, us, as in us, not them, us. How are we trying to decide how to live our lives? The prevailing counsel 
over and over again is just follow your heart. And I want to just tell you, even though that sounds so good and it sounds so reassuring that all of the answers are really inside of you somewhere, if you'll just dig deep enough, those emotions that are in there, while necessary and important, are terrible guides for your life. Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Following my heart, can I just say this, even though it's really popular, it's just bad counsel. What I want to tell you is, is that there's actually a better way the heart will trip you up. And just if you're reading along in Dave's book, um, I hope that you were able to get a copy. We are now sold out and um, have, have back ordered some others. And I don't know if we're going to get them, but um, you can get it for free in a PDF as well as the very entertaining version of Dave reading it to us, um, which is a blast. So you should get one of those. If you haven't gotten that, you can still get it. But inside of the book, he tells us exactly why the heart is such a bad guide. And it's because as we delve into it, we recognize that the motivations of our heart are bent or broken or a little bit crooked because of the past and because of who we are. Here's a slide that shows you what we could take four weeks minimum on in terms of why the heart is broken. And Dave goes into it more in his book. We are driven inside by performance needs or approval addictions or the desire to control the issues and things around us or this desire for comfort. And these things kind of bend us in ways that makes our heart incapable of helping us go the way Jesus wants us to go. The life of faith is not somewhere deep inside of you unless you count the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. You yourself are just not going to be a good guide. Now, a little self-confession here. I'm a performance uh, addict. I, I have to win. And what helped me diagnose what I was, if you, if you have a phone, you ought to get it out now and take a picture of this slide. And just go ahead and take a look if you don't have the book. It's in your book, page 110. But what helped me diagnose really quickly, which um, was my issue, is the problem emotion, the emotion that gets me in trouble. Now, if you're, if you're somehow sitting here and you're living in such self-deception that you would say, I'm not sure I have any of those. Ask someone who knows you. I'm going to get to work in five minutes, but there's a wreck between here and work. And my emotion that surfaces in not so godly ways is anger. Others of you, it might be you worry. You go into worry, so you, you're wrestling with, I couldn't control this. Who said they could have a wreck on my morning? And so you just take a, a, a time. But my, my point of this is, is that the prevailing counsel that you're going to get from our world system is follow your heart. And I'm going to tell you, that is not the way of faith. It's just not. So what is? Now, get ready. 
Because this is not super encouraging. It's accurate. It's, it's, it's truthful. But it's not super encouraging. But hang on, because I got an application for you that what we're going to do out of this for this coming week that you're just going to love. So hang in there with me. Let me walk you through this. First, the way of faith. And the way that I would say the way of faith is a theological term called progressive revelation. That particularly means you'll know what you need to know when you need to know it. Another way of thinking about it is this. God will give you a compass, not a map. He will say go, and you will say, okay, where? And he will say that way. And you'll say, well, what's out there? And you will not know. Moving from being single to getting married, I did not have all the information. And it's a good thing Dana didn't. Moving from coaching, which I loved, to pastoring was supposed to be a two-year assignment. And that happened in 1987. Moving from Texas to California was another two-year assignment we agreed to. And that happened in 1991. Now, as I look back on it, would I want to be single over married? No way. Would I want to go back to coaching? No. Am I glad to be in California? Most days. <laughs> but the way of faith has been limited to very little information. And at some point, if you're not already there, if you attempt to follow after a lifestyle that imitates Jesus, God is going to ask you, take a step, and you're going to step into what feels like the darkness. That is the way of faith. There are no giant instruction manuals. There are no GPS maps that you can use to say, you're here and you're going to go forward 400 yards and you're going to take a right. No, it's going to be one step. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is not a suggestion. This is a promise. This is the way of faith. And if you're not willing to step into the darkness, you will not be a person of faith. You will say you believe it, but you will not act on it. The place of faith is through, not around. So when you step into that darkness that God has asked you to step, there's a chance that, like Abraham, it's going to be not quite what you were prepared for. And you're going to look around and go, this isn't really what I thought. I thought that the life of faith was kind of like, you know, pixie dust and unicorns. I don't know, something nicer than this. And what the step of faith into that darkness is going to demand, you know what it demands of you? You know, a second step. To keep moving forward through it. And, when, and this will shipwreck you as well. You finally get to a place where you say, yes, God, yes, yes, what? And then you stop. You stop. 
But the way of faith is forward again. It's hard. It hurts. It's not what you thought. You're probably right in the center of the will of God. The place of faith, did you notice? By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents. He went from his home and took up a nomad lifestyle. And he would die with that. That is the place of faith. Do not be discouraged, men and women, when you take a step of obedience and then it gets harder, not easier. Do not be discouraged. The timing of faith is basically God's timing is not ours. Remember that the scriptures tell us that a thousand years are like a day with the Lord. Uh, think about that. A thousand years are like a day. So it's only been a couple of days since Jesus hung on the cross. <laughs> what? And I'm thinking he's slow. Like, I already think God's late. I'm thinking, you know, Jesus died, rose from the dead. Come on back. I don't know, quick. Hadn't even been a week. His timing is not like our timing. I wrote in here, God is never late, but he's almost never early. Almost never and I think about it now as I think back. I became, when I became the lead pastor at Westgate Church, I was 44 years old. And I, I felt like I was late to the game. I, and I will tell you, had I been the lead pastor 10 years earlier at 34, I'd have blown this place up. I was too immature. I was too rash. Some of y'all are thinking, well, you still are. Just, but yeah, think about me as 34. The timing of God's faith, he knew and understood what was the timing for me. And he does that for you as well. Amen. If you're really honest, you'll think back about things that you wished he'd have done earlier. Or you were asking for him to do, but now you look at it and go, I'm so glad he didn't do that. God is never late, but he's seldom early. And then the final one that we need to learn is that the object of our faith is the deal. That's the purpose. It's victorious Christ in our lives, not victorious Christians. It's really not that much about you. I, I know that's hard to hear. I know you're an American and you're, and not only are you an American, but you're in Silicon Valley where you can do anything, anything. No, you can't. It's about Christ. And so when all of this starts to happen, you finally take a step and it's harder than you think. And then you finally take that other step and it's taken longer than you think. And then you finally take another step and think, well, I ought to get, somebody ought to be patting me on the back. It ain't about you. It's about as children of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, honor Christ with their lives, Christ gets glory. 
And if that's not what your end game is, I'm not sure you're in the right game. God comforts us to make us comforters, not comfortable. God brings good things into our life that we might share. Over and over the scriptures were, were, that we can see that God brings riches into people's lives so that they will share with others, not so that you'll be rich. Please. This is the way of faith. This is what it means to learn from Abraham. This is what it means to love God. Now, Abraham doesn't even get it close to right. <laughs> I mean, he, he does go, but he makes all kinds of mistakes. So don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that as you take these little steps in the darkness, everything, you'll, you'll just be assured of what's going on and you'll make every right choice and all that. That's not it. That's why Jesus came. So that forgiveness could be extended to a bunch of knotheads like us. But this is the way of faith. This is the call on your life. Now, application this week. You ready? This means yes. This means no. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. This week, two things I want you to do. You don't have to. I mean, you'll be better for it, but it's up to you. And we're watching. Think of something this week that you really, really, really want to do. And now, it needs to be legal <laughs> and moral. Okay, so it can't be against, the, there can't be a law against it, and there can't be a command against it in the Bible. Okay, so now, so now think about something you really, really, really want to do, and do it. Just do it. I, found, I sound like Nike. <laughs> but here's the deal. While you do it, and it could be any number of things, a good meal, time with people you love, Relax a quiet time somewhere where nobody bothers you. I don't know what it's going to be. But while you're doing it, pause and say, Dear Father, you are the giver of all good gifts. Thank you. Thank you for this honor, to, honor right here. I do it with joy unto you. Some of you have already got it. You're like, dude, I got it. I'm coming to Clifford's house to watch the Cowboys and the Eagles on Monday night. <laughs> Call first. <laughs> okay, step one, find something you really, 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 really want to do and do it. Unto God. In faith. Step two. Identify something you really, 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 really don't want to do. And do it in faith. I really don't want to vacuum this carpet. I'm so sick of this vacuum. 
that when I sleep, I swear I hear it's humming. But God, I do it unto you, trusting that as I do, you'll build something in me. I really don't want to scoop dog poop again. I swear all my dog does is poop. But God, as I do this, I do it unto you. Knowing that you're in the church services and you're in my backyard with the poop. And as I do it, I do it unto you. Trusting by faith that you will build something in me. That only happens from these kinds of things. Something you really want to do and do it unto God in faith. And then something you don't want to do and do it into God in faith. And watch what he might do. This challenge was given to me by John Ortberg just a week or so ago. Lit my week up. Every time that Charles Blondine crossed the Niagara, he would ask the crowd, who thinks I can make it across with someone on my back? Of course, everybody every time, as you know, yes, yes, yes. But who will get on my back? No one. Over 300 crossings. Finally, Blondine said, I'm going to have to pay somebody to get on my back. And so he went to his manager. His manager's name was Harry Colcord. And he said, Harry, you're going across with me. You've seen me do every crossing. You know I can do this. You're on. Besides, you don't weigh very much. And so Harry climbed on the back. And Charles Blondine and Harry Colcord went across. And as they went across, it's reported that this is what Charles said to Harry. He said, don't look down. Look up, Harry. You're no longer Colcord. You are Blondine. Be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. That is what the walk of faith is. That is what God is asking you to do. Dear child, dear son, dear daughter, God is saying, climb up on my back. Don't look back. Climb up and be with me. Mind, body, and soul. And if I say, let's go a little bit to the right, you just hang on and let's go. Because over there is the great adventure of following after Jesus. And I know it may be scary and it may be dark, but hang on. Commit yourself to this life of faith. About 35 years ago, I was out in the woods in Texas and I'm not, I was raised really more in the city, and, but I love the woods, and I found myself out there, and I got caught. It got dark quicker than I thought, and suddenly it was pitch dark, very little moon, 
pitch dark. Do you know that trees all look the same in the dark? And I was lost. I didn't have the first clue about which way to go. I thought I could spend the night here, just lean up against this tree, but I think I can do it. And so I started walking in the direction that I thought was the direction towards my truck. And I walked for about 30 or 35 minutes. I was deep in the woods and it was dark and I was nervous. I mean, critters make weird noises at night. And I, I just my active imagination, even though the toughest thing in the woods at that time probably was a squirrel, I could just imagine that squirrel having big teeth, you know? And after about 25 or 30 minutes of walking, I came to a fence. And I realized when I came to that fence, I had walked exactly the wrong way. I'm, now I'm 25 minutes farther in. Now, what am I going to do? Well, this time I know the right direction for sure. And even though the walk was twice as long, it was night and day different. I mean, the critters still made noises, but I now knew I'm going the right direction for sure. This is the way to go. And with that assurance, with that knowledge, I actually enjoyed, made that walk with joy, even though it was dark and there was weird stuff. But I eventually, when I walked up and I saw the reflectors on my truck, the great joy that I had. I'm going to tell you the life of faith is like that. You could be walking exactly the wrong way. Do not fret. God is a giant God. It's not hard for him to say, uh, dude, that way. It's just not hard if you're listening. It's not difficult. And if you're going the right direction, it's just like God to give you little encouragements along the way. But understand the walk of faith is a compass, not a map. It's through the hard times, not around them. His timing is, seems slow. It's not based on yours. And it's about giving glory to Jesus, not you. And as you walk that way, you will find joy. As God uses your little walk of faith to bring him glory. What a deal. <laughs> I was going to pray right then, but I just had to say, what a deal. That just sounds so amazing. How could you not want to do that? Let's pray. Most of us go through life praying a little bit and planning a little bit and jockeying for position, hoping but never quite certain of anything. Always secretly afraid that we'll miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth 
and it never gives rest to our hearts. The better way is to not lean on our own understanding or our own heart, but instead lean, lean into your infinite wisdom. God, you have promised and taken full responsibility for our eternal happiness. Teach us to trust you more. May faith be an action word as we love you and love one another. Thank you that we don't have to get it all right. Nothing's at stake for us here. Jesus has paid our complete penalty. Every mistake, every misstep, you've taken care of, God. Thank you for that. Now grow our faith in the thing that we really want to do. Grow our faith and help us to step forward with joy. And then, God, in the thing we'd really rather not do, grow our faith there too. And teach us the unexpected joy that comes from following you. In Jesus' name.